Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Casket, a bi-weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and businesses that have a lot to hide. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be continuing our little tiny chat about Amazon. In part one, we covered their history, past issues with the FTC and LGBTQ community, unions, their environmental impact or their lack of attempting and counterfeit products. However, we still have a lot of ground to cover. So without any further ado, let's just jump right into today's episode. We're gonna start by talking about conflict of interest. You might remember how from part one, I mentioned that Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Well, I'm sure a couple of you may have been thinking, hmm, that doesn't sound great. A multi-billion dollar company owning a newspaper that should have the right to criticize them? It turns out you would be right, though for different reasons. Back in 2013, Amazon actually signed a deal with the CIA. It was worth up to $600 million over a period of 10 years. It was obviously handled in secret and I cannot tell you the details because I don't know what it entails. But the reason why this is such a gray area is because the Washington Post now through Bezos is somewhat effectively stuck being told to shut up about the government or not talk about the CIA. Again, I really don't want to speculate too much here. I feel like I'm entering dangerous waters, but Amazon just has way too many ties to the government in general. I'm not saying there's no benefits to Amazon wanting to pair its tech with the CIA or whatever, but in addition to its $600 million deal with the CIA, Amazon Web Services also does business with NASA, the Food and Drug Administration, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Most recently, the Obama administration tapped AWS to host portions of healthcare.gov, so it's not hard to see why it feels like they're taking over the world at times. They're even in charge of a service called Recognition, a facial recognition software that they're rolling out to police departments for some serious profit. The problem with this is that it doesn't even work properly. Amazon's controversial recognition was found to have misidentified 28 members of Congress as people who have been arrested for crimes, raising new concerns for racial profiling and potential law enforcement abuse. The false matches disproportionately involved members of Congress who are people of color. So how the hell is Amazon helping anyone other than Amazon? They get paid for discriminatory facial recognition software. That's the bottom line here. They get paid to reinforce harmful AI bias on the government's dime. Microsoft, on the other hand, has asked governments around the world to step up and regulate facial recognition technology. They want to ensure the technology, which has high error rates for African-Americans, does not invade personal privacy or become a tool for discrimination or surveillance, but they're not the only ones concerned. Amazon's facial recognition software is no longer being used in Ontario, government and police officials said in a joint statement this week in the wake of criticism from the American Civil Liberties Union. The tool, American Recognition, is directly marketed to US law enforcement and the ACLU in May revealed that the Florida city has used it since 2017. On Monday, the ACLU called for the secretive program to be scrapped, noting that it lacked public consent and could potentially be exploited to conduct mass location tracking of residents without criminal suspicion. The city has decided to drop the scheme for now at least, noting that the recognition pilot has expired last week. Staff continues to discuss and evaluate whether to recommend continuation of the pilot at a further date, police and government officials told floridapolitics.com on Monday. Now, I know it probably sounds like I've put on a tinfoil hat just a little bit by saying, you know, we could all be tracked and Amazon is taking over, but that's literally what the fuck they're doing here. Like, come on. 
The ACLU's Florida legal director, Nancy Abubu, urged Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer to drop the platform this week, commenting in a lengthy letter that the software was primed for abuse. She wrote, the people should be free to walk down the street without being watched by the government. Face surveillance in Orlando threatens this freedom, particularly where government agencies deploy it without community debate, without local legislative oversight, and without rules to prevent abusive use. Therefore, we demand that Orlando immediately suspend its use of recognition. And this is just depressing, to feel like Amazon's pretty much become big brother and we're all living in George Orwell's 1984. I know I say on the channel that being a large company isn't inherently a bad thing. And to some extent I do stand by that. Growing doesn't have to mean evil, but with Amazon, they're growing to a point that they're encroaching on privacy with software that again, has been primed for abuse. This massive level of ownership and power makes it virtually impossible to hold them responsible for anything they do. And to see Amazon take advantage of that, well, that's exactly why I wanted to talk about them in the first place. But to speak to the insane power trip Amazon's on, we've got to talk about how they treat their employees. Now, before we discuss this, let me just say that if you're an employee for Amazon and you've had a fantastic experience, that's awesome. I'm not claiming that what we're about to cover happens in every single one of their warehouses, but the fact that some of these things have happened at all is just a bit messed up. To start with, Amazon has a history of forcing workers to do their jobs in warehouses that are over hundred degrees Fahrenheit in the summer to the point where workers pass out and paramedics had to be called. One worker, Goris, said they could only get away with it because there weren't any other jobs in the area. Workers said they were forced to endure brutal heat inside the sprawling warehouse and were pushed to work at a pace many could not sustain. Employees were frequently reprimanded regarding their productivity and threatened with termination, workers said. The consequences of not meeting work expectations were regularly on display as employees lost their jobs and got escorted out of the warehouse. Such sites encouraged some workers to conceal pain and push through injury lest they get fired as well, workers said. During summer heat waves, Amazon arranged to have paramedics parked in ambulances outside ready to treat workers who dehydrated or suffered other forms of heat stress. Those who couldn't quickly cool off and return to work were sent home or taken out in stretchers and wheelchairs and transported to area hospitals. And new applicants were ready to begin work at any time. And um, well, that's a way to handle it. I don't think that's the way most people would handle that situation. It reminds me a lot of Action Park, which is a now defunct and pretty notorious closed down water park that I will be talking about soon on this channel. I promise you, I absolutely promise you, it's one of my most fascinating things to just study and look over all the time. But you just don't leave paramedics outside the warehouse at all times. So when someone inevitably passes out, they just don't have to wait as long. That's heartless. These workers are being exploited and there's no way around this. An emergency doctor in June, 2015, called federal regulators to report an unsafe environment after he treated several Amazon warehouse workers for heat-related problems. The doctor's report was echoed by warehouse workers who also complained to regulators, including a security guard who reported seeing pregnant employees suffering in the heat. It was only after an OSHA inspection that Amazon installed fans. They didn't take initiative to have this fixed because again, if they could get away with it without saying anything, then that's what they would do. The fact that they were totally okay with watching their workers drop like flies in scorching heat is terrifying. But this isn't even the only example by any means. The morning call lists worker after worker after worker detailing how they had or knew someone who had a heat stroke at the place. Bezos is so wealthy, he could personally afford to install air conditioners for every single one of these warehouses. He's worth billions and his, so is his company. So I'm pretty confident with that figure, but just to prove a point here, There are 175 Amazon warehouses across the globe with 150 million square feet. 
Now let's go to Amazon, shall we? Because I'm feeling bitter and going to use their own numbers against them here and see what air conditioner they recommend. Based on the one that they recommend, it has 150 square foot cooling coverage. So that's awesome, easy numbers. That means you would need a million of those. If you click these sellers to see the lowest price as of the time I was writing this, it is $184. So that's $184 million. Jeff Bezos, if you Google it, is worth about $170 billion. So this means 184 million would cost one one thousandth of his personal net worth. And think about it. If you're worth $1,000 and you have countless employees that are suffering and passing out, sick in the heat, would you spare a dollar to help them? Because that's essentially what Jeff Bezos is saying no to on a much larger scale. I know practically you can't buy 1 million air conditioners, but even if he were paying Amazon's own prices to cool every single square inch of those warehouses, it would be a drop in the bucket. And this is only one aspect of Amazon's treatment because it only gets worse. Now let's talk about their pickers. The name for the workers that push trolleys around and pick out customers' orders, they walk up to 15 miles a day. The independent even claimed pickers run the equivalent of a marathon during a shift, and that's every single work shift. But despite these gigantic expectations, they have an extremely strict strike and release discipline system. And in one warehouse, a worker claims their job lasted less than a week after he took the day off for blisters. Bezos himself says, our culture is friendly and intense, but if push comes to shove, we will settle for intense. Well, with Amazon as popular as ever, push apparently did come to shove every fucking day because I have yet to find much evidence of real job security, sympathy, or patience. I Googled warehouse jobs difficult just to see if I could find any other examples of this happening elsewhere. And a shit ton of results popped up for things like Amazon warehouse jobs push workers to physical limit. And I spent a week long working in Amazon's warehouse and articles about wage slavery. It's true, warehouse work in general can be unforgiving difficult work. So to hear that Amazon is making the work even harder is incredibly frustrating, let alone what they do to delivery drivers. Zachariah Vargas was six hours into his shift delivering packages for Amazon. He was about to drop off a package when he accidentally slammed the door of his truck on his hand. The door clicked shut, trapping his middle and ring fingers. Once he freed his fingers, the blood began to pour. Both of Vargas's arms began to shake involuntarily. The lacerations were deep. Vargas thought he glimpsed bone when he wiped away the blood. Panicked, Vargas called his dispatch supervisor who was working at a nearby Amazon facility. He said he received no sympathy. The first thing they asked was, how many packages do you have left? He told Business Insider. Vargas had dozens remaining. Delivering them all would take several hours. Still, his supervisor advised him to drop them all off before returning to the station or seeking care. Vargas ignored his boss and headed back. He was worried and there was no first aid kit in the truck. When he arrived at the station, he said he was mocked. My dispatcher kept saying, are you dying right now? Girls have come back with wounds worse than you, Vargas said. The same manager ordered Vargas to unload his truck and pointed towards an Amazon official at the warehouse and told him, Amazon is watching you. They don't like when undelivered packages come back. And honestly, if that doesn't sound like something out of an Amazon worker horror film, I don't know what does. But anyway, back to this article. Vargas also claims another supervisor told him he should have knocked on a customer's door to ask for a Band-Aid, then continued on his route. The supervisors told him to go to the hospital to prove he was injured, even though he did not have health insurance at the time, Vargas said. At that moment, I realized, I don't know if I want to continue working for this company if they don't even care what happens to me, he added. It was a wake-up call. Vargas's experience may be extreme, but he isn't the only driver delivering packages for Amazon who has found the job alarmingly rough. With Amazon's rapid growth, the environment for drivers is only getting more demanding. Vargas absolutely is not the only one. His story may be the example of the brutal conditions, but there's even more tragic stories around the safety conditions. 
In 2018, USA Today wrote that the company has been under increasing scrutiny for its safety record. The National Council for Occupational Safety and Health in April called out Amazon for what it said was a poor record. Among the incidents, Roland Smith, 57, a temporary employee, was dragged and crushed to death by a conveyor belt in a December 2013 accident at Amazon's warehouse in Avenal, New Jersey. And just to make this clear, this isn't just one man's tragic death. This is a safety record. Amazon has a history of this. I may have just highlighted two or three incidents here. Even their quotas say they're destroying people. One woman, Dixon, said that within two months after lifting over 100,000 items, she had bulging discs, a back sprain, joint inflammation, and chronic pain. 100% due to her job, as her doctor said. Today, she can barely climb stairs. After just two months at Amazon, Dixon is 54 years old, but she says she feels like she's 90. In just one warehouse, over 422 injuries were recorded. In the rate of serious injuries, it was more than four times the industry average. According to Amazon's own records, the risk of work injuries at fulfillment centers is alarmingly unacceptably high, said David Michaels, the former head of the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration, who is now a professor at George Washington University's Public Health School. Amazon needs to take a hard look at the facilities where so many workers are being hurt and either redesign the work process, replace the top managers or both, because serious injury rates this high should not be acceptable to any employer. So to summarize here, Amazon has their warehouse workers in 100 plus degree weather in the summer. They abuse their delivery drivers. And then they also have unsafe conditions that lead to serious injury for those workers. And for some that includes death. Sure, maybe they pay $15 an hour, but is it worth it if you can't walk again in two months? And let's take a moment to pay some bills and thank today's sponsor, Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. And at Audible, you can find the largest selection of audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, languages, business, motivation, and many more. I'm actually finishing up listening to a book right now called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You by Janelle Shane. And it's a book that's just dedicated all about like questions you have about AI and how AI helps us in everyday things and how it comes to the decisions that it makes, like what a Harry Potter fan fiction made by robots is like and how a computer can make the perfect sandwich. It was a fantastic lesson. I'm pretty much towards the end of it, I think. And it gets me excited to think of all the other nonfiction books of just weird things about our world that I can learn about. And all while just doing chores, relaxing, running around the house, doing whatever, it's really great. So if you wanna get started today, make sure to visit audible.com casket or text casket to 500-500. And if you're on your computer, you can just go to audible.com casket or again, text casket to 500-500 to sign up for Audible today. Now, I'd like to take a moment to go back to Amazon's power for a moment and give a worrying example of the control they have as a business. A couple years ago, what became known as the Hunger Games for Cities took place. We know from part one, Amazon started in Seattle and their incredible growth made the city America's biggest company town. However, though the economy's booming, some argue that Amazon took Seattle's soul. Seattle for Growth argues, we are becoming a big global city with lots of innovation, driving jobs, diversity, and a much wider and cosmopolitan worldview. These are not things to be trying to stop. 
Others still say Bezos is holding Seattle hostage and between owning the Washington Post, his technology that's been, as we said earlier, designed to be abusive and the Titan that is the Amazon corporation being founded there, I can understand that view. It's a mixed bag when talking about Amazon and Seattle, but regardless of how people feel, other cities wanted the same chance to grow their economy. And how it went down is kind of odd, I'm not gonna lie. Amazon announced their HQ2 project, an expansion of their headquarters, and they invited cities to apply for the chance, the honor to have what Seattle has. As the word spread and the 19 October 2017 deadline to file applications approached, cities across the country started to get the Amazon bug. Giant Amazon delivery boxes were installed in Birmingham, Alabama to drum up buzz for its bid. The mayor of Kansas City, Missouri personally bought 1000 items on Amazon, giving each a five-star review and said things like, I live in beautiful Kansas City, where the average home price is just $122,000. So I know Lux Living doesn't have to cost a ton. That's why at $14.99, these wind chimes are music to my ears. A group representing Tucson, Arizona delivered a 21 foot cactus by truck to Amazon Seattle office. The city council of Stonecrest, Georgia simply voted to hand over 345 acres of land for a giant tech to build its own municipality, a new town, which would be called Amazon City. The night before the filing deadline, New York mayor Bill de Blasio lit every light he could from the rooftops of One World Trade and the Empire State Building, all of the city's Wi-Fi hotspots in Amazon's signature shade of orange. And this just comes across so incredibly weird to me. I can't exactly put my finger on why I hate this, but I just know I hate this. I guess it's because Jeff Bezos and Amazon already have so much power. So to see cities across the entire country beg and bribe to try and bid and win the favor of Amazon, it's unsettling. Boston and San Francisco offered to devote teams of full-time city workers paid for by taxpayers, no less, whose sole job would be to directly serve Amazon's wishes on matters like fast-tracking the processing of zoning permits. Am I crazy for finding this extremely disconcerting? Like Boston and San Francisco pretty much just offered him a butler service that citizens would just be forced to pay for. The whole thing seems absolutely absurd to me tax breaks totaling $2 billion, an exclusive lounge for Amazon employees at the airport, a dedicated train car on its subway system, all of those things are bad enough. But Fresno's is by far the worst. They offered Amazon joint control of 85% of all city taxes. They pretty much just offered Amazon control of the city itself. And this proposed agreement would last 100 years. As New Statesman put it, this wasn't just offering Bezos a key to the city. It was offering a hand over its jewelry, wallet, and pin number as well. This amount of control is severely alarming. Only a year later in 2018, Amazon even made a $10 billion deal with the Pentagon, which gives Jeff Bezos an incredible amount of influence in Washington. I honestly don't know the deals of this deal, but I don't trust it not in the slightest and not after seeing how Fresno and other cities were falling over themselves to give Amazon power over their people. Later that year in 2018, Amazon announced that New York City, specifically Long Island City in Queens and Northern Virginia won the HQ2 titles. They also announced a new operation in Nashville, Tennessee as well. And my opinion on the whole thing is maybe I'm just jaded by the situation, but I feel like Amazon did this for the tax breaks and the incentives. Seriously, it's in Amazon's best interest, just as much as it is for these cities, for them to build HQ2 sites. It's not as if Jeff Bezos is giving away money. He's building a fucking empire. This very public bidding war was their way of flexing and seeing who would give them the best tax breaks and who would give them the most power. And it's not like Amazon couldn't have just as easily approached a city they were interested in and negotiated directly and privately. 
Instead, they went through this bidding war that frankly just, it just really turns me off to the whole situation. Like something was not right here. All right, so now we've got just two more topics to cover on my Amazon plate today. And I'm not gonna dwell on this one for too long because it's not exactly exciting or anything. It's pretty straightforward, which is kind of refreshing. Taxes. And my God, when taxes become the easy thing to explain in the amount of fuck-ups a company has made, you know that we're up shit's creek. Now, this is a topic that Bernie Sanders has actually been pretty vocal on, especially in the spring and summer of 2018. He said on CNN that it's important we look at the power Amazon has and that Amazon hasn't paid their share of taxes. Sanders even created a page on his website where you can share your experience working with Amazon with him. He truly believes in changing this issue. But to get into some numbers here, according to CNBC, In 2018, Amazon posted income of more than $11 billion, but the company paid $0 in federal taxes. In fact, thanks to tax credits and deductions, Amazon actually received a federal tax refund of $129 million. That was a year after Amazon received a $137 million refund from the federal government in 2017. Then President Donald Trump is a frequent critic of Amazon for paying little or no taxes to state and local governments, though the Trump administration's 2017 tax cuts and Jobs Act helped to lower the statutory corporation rate. I'm not going to get too political here, but you know, even if Trump isn't exactly making Amazon pay up, I mean, there's really no hope left here. Not that he even allowed his own company to pay taxes or anything, but that's totally a different story, right? There's even been a Stop Bezos Act that being short of stop bad employers by zeroing out subsidies for all the money Bezos is worth, about half of Amazon's workforce earns less than $28,000 yearly. That figure doesn't include the 40% of workers that are employed through temporary staffing agencies either. And thousands of Amazon employees as of 2018 were on food stamps just to make ends meet. In Arizona, reportedly one out of every three Amazon employees was on food stamps. In Pennsylvania and in Ohio, it's one out of 10. I get that there's going to be a gigantic gap between Bezos and his employees, and that's how it's becoming with every single company. But to hear that the richest man in the world who makes around $150,000 in a minute has employees on food stamps, that's not a good reflection on corporate America, I guess. I mean, what, what the fuck am I supposed to say to that, honestly? It looks bad and it is bad. And I will add that Amazon's minimum wage is now $15 an hour. And while they may have improved that aspect, in others, they've continued to put their employees in dangerous situations. Now, I can't address Amazon's controversies without talking about how they handled the pandemic. I'm sure most of you heard snippets and stories on this, but we're going to take a deeper dive into what Amazon did when it all started and how they put their own workers at risk. At first on the surface, Amazon seemed like they cared, announcing an unlimited time off policy. However, not only was that time unpaid, but it only extended through April. So pretty sure we all know COVID's lasted a little bit longer than April of 2020. Amazon now says on their own blog that they offer two weeks of paid vacation time for anyone diagnosed, but make no mistake, that wasn't the case when Chris Smalls was protesting. Chris Smalls, an Amazon warehouse worker, organized a protest in late March because of the lack of protection from COVID in the warehouse. Just hours later, he was fired. We all know this is retaliation. There's no way around it. I took a huge stand, put my career on the line, and I won't regret it. I don't know how they even sleep at night for doing that. Smalls said he plans to take legal action against the company, calling his dismissal a wrongful termination but an Amazon spokesperson denied that retribution played a role in Smalls' termination, claiming that Smalls violated safety procedures by breaking his quarantine after coming in contact with a coronavirus infected colleague. 
Another statement given by Smalls reads, Amazon would rather fire workers than face up to total failure to do what it needs to keep us, our families, and our communities safe. I am outraged and disappointed, but I am not shocked. As usual, Amazon would rather sweep a problem under the rug than act to keep workers and working communities safe. So rather than admit their actions and change to something right, taking necessary steps to change and keep their workers safe, Amazon dug their heels in until they couldn't anymore. They faced a growing rise of coronavirus cases and even had to shut down certain sites. So sure, Amazon's taken action now with face masks, sanitizing warehouses and temperature checks, but they waited until warehouse workers filed lawsuits alleging that the company built a facade of compliance to meet public health guidelines while simultaneously pressuring employees to report to work under unsafe conditions. The lawsuit claims that a lack of COVID-19 protections at its Staten Island facility not only put workers at risk, but also their families. And this is just like before with the ambulances. Amazon only cares when it's too late. They didn't provide masks, encourage social distancing. None of that seemed to happen. The workers rose up, insisted things needed to change. And once lawsuits and backlash started, then they tried to make it seem like they cared all along. Amazon has consistently treated its employees like trash and with the grip that they have all over the higher ups all over the country, it's no wonder they get away with it. Simply put, I think Amazon is out of control. If their workers don't feel safe, are having heat strokes in the summer, having to go on food stamps to survive and essentially end up crippled because of the demands of the job, something's wrong with the way they treat their workers, let alone the insane levels of power that they have over the government apparently. Now, this was initially where I was going to end part two of this Amazon episode, but because this is Amazon we're talking about here, they can't stay out of the news for too long. In November, 2020, they are now facing antitrust charges for European regulators. NPR states, European Union officials are accusing Amazon of breaking EU competition rules by exploiting the data the company collects from other sellers on its platform for its own benefit. These are the first formal charges against the tech and retail giant in a spate of antitrust investigations around the world. The commission's preliminary view is that the use of non-public marketplace seller data allows Amazon to avoid the normal risks of retail competition and to leverage its dominance in the market. The European Commission, the EU's top antitrust enforcer, said on Tuesday in a so-called statement of objections, The commission's investigation found Amazon used very granular real-time data about listings and sales by other merchants on its platform to help decide what new products to launch, what prices to set, and how many items to stock and which suppliers to use, said EU antitrust chief Margaret Vestager. To put it briefly, Amazon knows what it sells on its site, even from third-party sellers, and European Union officials say that Amazon is using that data to make their own products and outsell them. So for example, let's say you're selling a really cute homemade kitchen set as a third-party seller. Maybe you're just a small business, but maybe you're doing really well on Amazon, finding success in using their platform. What the European Union says Amazon does here is they would look at your sales, your listings, see what's doing well and recreate that kitchen set at a fraction of the cost. Then their copycat version would outsell yours because it's cheaper, looks the same, and they can sell far more of them. And Amazon obviously has an obscene amount of resources to do so. Now, Amazon has fought back against this. They stated, we disagree with the preliminary assertions of the European Commission and will continue to make every effort to ensure it has accurate understanding of the facts. No company cares more about small businesses or has done more to support them over the past two decades like Amazon. So for right now, all of these are claims. Nothing's been settled yet. As of recording this, it's, you know, it hasn't been out there for too long. But make no mistake, Amazon is growing. They've even got a pharmacy now as if they weren't already dominating in so many fields. And it's becoming pretty intimidating how large they've come. And to see the accusations from them about not caring about the little guys, it's just worrying, but it's not unexpected, unfortunately. 
So with that being said, that's where we are going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure that you liked, followed, subscribed wherever you are listening to this so you can stay up to date to the latest episodes. Thank you again for watching this week's episode of The Corporate Casket, and I will see you in the next one. Bye.